This is Queen Victoria, and welcome to Murder Lab, the podcast where I don't just discuss one serial killer, I talk about several serial killers and what they have in common. This is part four of the Murder Lab series, in which I talk about serial killers that had a room or building set aside to do their killing as true quote-unquote murder labs. This episode will be about David Parker Ray. My main references are I, Monster by Tom Philbin, Serial Killer Magazine, Issue 13 and 2, Consequences, The Criminal Case of David Parker Ray, 2nd Edition by J.E. Sparks, Cries in the Desert by John Glatt, and Slow Death by James Fielder. The first time I heard about David Parker Ray was on last podcast on the left, so of course they're one of my main references, and I also listen to Serial Killer Podcast and Serial Killers Podcast because they also covered David Parker Ray. There are a couple other sources, but I'll just list those out on the website as usual so you can look there for the references. I will point out that technically he is not a serial killer because they cannot prove that he killed anyone. So there is zero verified deaths. However, he was convicted of raping, kidnapping, which we'll get more into detail. So the victims that we do have were ones that he abducted and raped. The dates of his crime are vaguely from, we think, like the 1960s to when he was caught in 1999. And again, we'll get more into this as we uh, delve in. The bulk of this activity took place in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. And I'll tell you a little bit about that because it's important as to why maybe they couldn't find any bodies. The city was known for its transient population. So, you know, that never helps cops when they're trying to find a serial offender. There were also drugs abundant, which I guess um, it's interesting because when you read certain instances, they, you know, weigh heavily on how there was so much drug trafficking and a drug culture. And then other people were like, you know, it was just a normal town and we just happened to have that stuff in there too. So I imagine, you know, someone may describe Dayton similarly because we certainly have a drug problem here. But, you know, other than that, we, we're a good town. We're a pretty good place. So it may not be the defining characteristic, but it certainly contributed to things and it didn't help the situation. So this is New Mexico, and there was a place called Elephant Butte State Park. So the lake covers 38,000 acres and is 200 feet deep in places. It's apparently 40 miles long and had fingers of water everywhere. It has yellow and flathead catfish, which can weigh up to 80 pounds, scavenger omnivores that will devour anything, including a human body. And once they finish, crawfish will take care of the rest. David Parker raised a lot back into that lake. So that's a very important detail that he had access to this huge-ass lake that's super deep. But let's talk about these catfish for a second. Because, as always, you run into discrepancies when you're researching. Well, in like two accounts, they say the catfish can weigh up to 80 pounds. In one source, they said the catfish were seven to eight foot long, up to 120 pounds. So that's, that's quite a, a leap from 80 pound catfish to 120 pound catfish. 
So I decided, well, and also in that same reference that said that there were 120 pound catfish, they did mention that catfish always ate the eyes first. And I found that interesting. Like, I don't no one else mentioned that detail. And it's kind of a, I don't know, it's a quirky detail that caught my attention. So I tried to search if catfish really eat people and their eyes first. And it didn't really have much luck. I did happen upon um, an article about how big the catfish actually get in Elephant Butte Lake. It was written in April 2015 at NewMexicoNewsPort.com. And it was literally an article about whether the catfish are really that big in that lake. Like, some people claim that they were the size of a VW Beetle. And think one actually claimed there was a, one the size of a bus. So, you know, you're going to get that. But they said on that site, the largest recorded catfish at Elephant Butte Lake weighed 78 pounds and measured about four feet long. So that's several sources. And I would think that that would be a reputable source. So um, I would dare say... It probably didn't get up to 120 pounds, 80 pounds possibly, and uh, apparently catfish do actually eat people. So there's that. So that's helping for David Parker Ray. That's helpful. So there's big catfish in this lake. It's super deep, up to 160 to 200 feet deep in some places. There is also a layer of thick silt on the bottom where a diver even like tried to stick his arm down in it and he stretched his arm out and got all the way up to his pit and he still couldn't feel any ground or anything. It's also so murky, you couldn't see beyond your outstretched hand. A diver can only stay down eight minutes at 160 feet and it takes half a day to recover after a dive. So this is a big reason why they might not be able to find any of David Parker Ray's bodies because if he dumped them in there, who the hell's going to find them? Because obviously it's hard for these di divers and being 40 miles long, it would be like impossible to drain to find the bodies. So this is a big plus for him. Also, there were old mines in the area and natural caves. So there's uh, all kinds of things. So there's all kinds of places that he could hide people and bodies. The number of possible deaths, one source said 14 to 60, another said 30 and more. One said he suspected of 60. He was accused of murders by several people, but again, no bodies were found. His girlfriend, who was his accomplice, said that he had killed 14 women. So I guess that's the, uh, the source that said 14 to 60 you know, they said, okay, well, she said he did 14. Another thing said 60. I don't know. So if you say 30 plus, that one in the middle there, another 30 plus, that is between 14 and 60. So all right, we'll say between 14 and 60. Although I think another one also said that it was like 100. In Serial Killer Magazine issue number two, they claim Ray has been recorded as saying he killed at least one person a year for 40 years. So if you do the math there, that would be 40 people. And he claimed that his practices spanned 45 years. If he was busy, then it's possible he could have killed up to 100. He was 59 years old when he was caught. His murder lab was at his home at 513 Bass Road. Again, in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. First, I'll go over some important information that leads directly to 
his murder lab activity. His dad had a violent temper and divorced his mom when they were kids. It was David and his sister Peggy. So they went and were raised by his grandparents. And apparently his grandpa was very strict. His dad was a drifter. And he'd visit David about every six months and give him a gift of S&M porno magazines when he would visit. So David said he was drawn to S&M at the age of 13. His grandma's name was Dolly Parker. Before he was born, two of her sons were playing cowboys and Indians with real guns. They didn't realize one was loaded. So her son Alden accidentally shot her son David and he died. When her grandson was born a year later, she thought he was a reincarnation of her son so he was named David Parker Ray. And that's also why she wanted to raise him, though he said she didn't have much affection or attention for him. Later on, after he's caught, the Sergeant K.C. Rogers said that Ray told him he had lived with an aunt who had sexually abused him and wanted him to hurt her during sex. So that possibly could have planted some seeds or nourished the seeds that were already planted about um, S&M and violence to... Um, get more pleasure during sex. David said he had a private dungeon under a big tree when he was 15 with a hangman's noose and a collection of broken beer bottles he planned to use on girls. And I quote, When I got lonesome, I used to fuck a hole I dug in the ground. In journals they found after he was caught, he claimed his first kill was at age 15 and he had a female accomplice. A big detail for his life happened in 1967 when his third wife had their daughter, Glenda Jean Ray. She was fiercely independent, and her father worshipped her. She later became his accomplice. In the 1970s, he had a dungeon in his house and homemade torture equipment, which he designed and sold in Screw magazine. Now, that might be confusing because he was actually a mechanic, so it wasn't Screw magazine as in tools for a mechanic. It was Screw magazine. <laughs> A different kind of tool. So normally he went by David Parker Ray, but in 1983, when he remarried, he started to go by David Parker in honor of his grandma and that side of the family. He had many marriages and jobs until he settled in Elephant Butte with his fourth wife in 1984. He worked as an aircraft engine repairman. He actually worked for the Parks Department, which that would be the most interesting and disturbing episode of Parks and Rec ever, as you'll see as I get on with the episode. Although Leslie Nope would possibly admire how detailed and organized he was, because he had lists for everything. So he goes on to say about his sexual fantasies. He had started to get interested in S&M when he was 13. He claims his aunt apparently wanted him to hurt her and have sex with her. And he said that he was just constantly thinking about, you know, hurting women and torturing women and that would really uh, get him going. So his quote was, This thing is literally tearing me apart. For 40 years, my life has been a private hell. He claimed he was trying to resist his dark fantasies, so he'd hire hookers to have sadomasochistic sessions with. He said he whipped them, but he never broke the skin, and they had a safe word, which was raspberry. He claimed to have six shrinks in one year, and that didn't help. And by 1994, he was getting the urge every two to three months, especially after taking Viagra. He discovered Viagra, and it changed his life and made him so excited. But unfortunately, that also apparently 
really push those negative urges. So in 1994, he went back to being called David Ray. And according to his records, he implied his kidnapping picked up in 1994. He would tie up many of his early captives on their knees with their legs folded back and immobilized, and they were kept that way for days without relief. So it added to the pain, but if they got loose, they also couldn't use their legs. So while he's saying that he's trying to get better and he's going to shrinks, it really makes me wonder, I don't know, maybe he was really, really genuinely trying not to do those things. But when you hear about all the things that I'll read later, especially the Serial Killers podcast about him do a really good job delving into his journals and talking about how methodical he was. It's the methodicalness that that really makes me think maybe he wasn't as tortured as he wants people to believe that he was. He really seemed like he genuinely enjoyed it. But we'll get, we'll let you see. We'll get more into that as we go because we've got, we've got a lot here. And I've got a, I've got my whiskey. I've got my bullet rye with some honey. So uh, it's gonna, it's gonna help us get through this. The way that he said that he would choose his kidnapping victims, he would choose prostitutes, junkies, or transients because they're unlikely to be reported missing. He would often take them off the street at night, knife point, blindfold them and take them home. He would carry a fake sheriff's badge in his glove box and often impersonate an officer. He targeted lonely females in bars, strangers, druggies, homosexuals, prostitutes, or people traveling traveling alone that had car trouble or were walking alone and easy to target. His wife left him in 1995. He had, I believe that was the fourth wife. But by this time, he was in Elephant Butte. He had a large double-wide trailer and was beginning to make special bondage equipment he sold through his P.O. box. So this was a common theme through his life. So it didn't stop in just the 70s. He really enjoyed using his mechanical intuition by making these sexual bondage things and selling them. He did say in 1999, he directed his interest towards 10-year-old girls. I didn't find anything that expounded upon that. And I have to admit, I'm a little relieved that I didn't find that. So I'm not sure if he actually did wind up getting any 10-year-old girls and kidnapping them. Most of the things that I've heard about have been older girls. I'm not sure if that meant that he was just fantasizing about it and not acting on it or not. Also in 1999, Cindy Hendy moved in with him. Cynthia Hendy, who went by Cindy Hendy. She had a pattern of trouble with the law, abusive husbands, and drug addiction. She was on the run when she went to Truth or Consequences, and she met David's daughter and her friend Roy Yancey. Then she met David through them. She was into everything that David was into. And Roy also became an accomplice. They said that she actually um, was having an affair with Roy and Jesse, David's daughter. But then once she really started hanging out with David, she dropped Roy for David. Now, I did also see that... She first met David through her work release program at Elephant Butte State Park. So I'm not sure if that means she just ran into him there and then she didn't really start hanging out with him until she was hanging out with his daughter. I guess it was hard to find many other details about that. So at any rate, she ended up meeting him. She was 37 when she moved to TRC in 1997. And then by 1999, she had met David and moved in with him. And now enters their first victim that we know of. Angelica Montano 
was a 25-year-old single mother, new to town. She had one prosthetic blue eye and one brown eye, and was a prostitute. She was friends with Cindy and Ray, and at this point, Cindy had lived with Ray for only a month. She was telling Cindy she didn't have the money to buy a cake for her boyfriend's birthday, and Hendy said that she would give her some that they have. So on February 17, 1999, they were supposed to meet her and give the cake ingredients to her, but they said they forgot it, so they needed to take her back to the house to get it. So once they get back to the house, Ray pulls a knife and puts it to her throat and says, You are being abducted against your will. She thought he was joking, but then he punched her in the stomach. She was blindfolded with a leather mask, strapped naked to the bed, a metal collar was put around her neck, they made her listen to a tape in which he tells her exactly what she should expect them to do to her, which is truly some jigsaw bullshit which I will actually be reading the full transcript here in a few minutes. So get ready for that. So after she listens to the tape, they make her swallow an orange pill, which made her pass out. At some point, they showed her videos of them torturing other women in that exact room. Two days later, he took her to his trailer that they called their toy box. And now I'm going to read from Cries in the Desert by John Glatt. That night, David Ray came home at 5.30 p.m. and took a shower before coming into the living room. Then, as Hendy held a gun on her, Ray informed Angelica that she was to visit his toy box. Unlocking her handcuffs and chains, he then led her to the bathroom by the long leash attached to her metal collar. He gave me a bath, like a dog, with a chain and everything, she said. He said he likes to have his victims clean. After carefully drying her body... Hendy started applying makeup to her face, saying that she had to look her best for a video, as she would be the star. When Ray was satisfied with the results, he draped a robe over her shoulders and led her by the metal collar leash out of the main trailer into the cold, dark night. It was only a few yards to the toy box, but to Angelica, who had been chained to a bed for more than three days, it seemed miles as he dragged her across his yard. When Angelica entered the toy box, She could just make out various shelves and cabinets holding an array of sexual devices and videotapes. There was also a video camera and a TV monitor set up directly in front of a gynecological chair. Ray locked the door as Hendy began loading the video recorder with a fresh tape. Then he blindfolded Angelica with a bandana, placing silver duct tape tightly over her mouth. Suddenly, without warning, Ray hit her hard in the stomach, forcing her onto a black table with her hand, on her hands and knees. He then carefully bound her hands and feet with red leather ropes and inserted a long wooden device into her rectum. He left it inside her for an agonizing 15 minutes as he took off his pants. I was in terrible pain, she would later tearfully remember of the device in her rectum. Then he pulled it out. She was then forced into a gynecological chair, complete with stirrups. Ray spread her arms and legs as far apart as he could before securing them into restraints. It was very uncomfortable, she would later testify. I was hardly able to breathe. When Angelica begged for more air, Cindy merely laughed, saying, Oh, she's breathing good. Montano could hear the hum of the video recorder as Ray played her his customary audio tape, smugly telling her of more horrors to come. They played me the tape, so I didn't know what to believe. What were they going to do with me? I didn't know if I was going to see my kid again. 
Then Ray started attaching small metal alligator clips to her nipples and genitalia, ordering Hendy to turn on the electrical current. I was crying and shaking in pain because it hurt so bad, she later remembered. Cindy was just asking, how high is that? I know she put that sucker real high. David Ray said, that's as high as it can get. With duct tape gagging her mouth, preventing her from screaming, Angelica was totally helpless as the two sadists began to experiment with the current, Hendy repeatedly turning the dial up and down as they watched their victim writhe in pain. Then David Ray began to invade Angelica's body with an assortment of dildos. Angelica noticed that Ray, naked from the waist down, did not have an erection. Seeming to tire of the electricity generator, Ray picked up a stun gun and handed Hendy an electric cattle prod. They started shocking me with a white stun gun, and then they used that black cattle thing, she said. I was shaking. I remember shaking. Then he put something in my vagina and shocked it. It was electric. I've never felt anything like it before. I got burns on my legs and thighs. Angelica's captors fastened more clips to her nipples and attached a chain to them. Ray and Hendy took turns tugging on the ends of the chain as their manacled victim squirmed in agony. Suddenly, after about an hour of torture, Ray looked at his wristwatch and told Hendy to stop. It was almost time for the final part of Storm of the Century, and he did not want to miss it. After releasing her from the restraints, binding her to the gynecological chair, David Ray led her back to the main trailer, saying, Well, Angelica, you'll give me a good blowjob. Then, as Hendy looked on approvingly, he forced his flaccid penis into her mouth. He didn't have a heart on, Angelica would later explain. He had to put something on, like a rubber band, to get it hard. I made sure I gave him the best damn blowjob I could ever give because I wanted him to like me. And that helped. He liked that. Finally, Ray ejaculated into Angelica's mouth, forcing her to swallow his semen as Hendy held her down. Traumatized, the poor girl pretended that she had enjoyed the experience so as to make Ray and Hendy like her. After Ray had finished, Angelica asked when he was going to let her go. Ray smiled, promising that she could leave the following morning. Then she lied, swearing never to tell a soul what had happened, as he was too old to go to prison. Ray assured her that after the shot he would give her, she would not remember a thing. He believed me, she said. I had to play the part to be their friends in order to still be alive so they wouldn't think that I would go out and tell anybody. I had to get David Ray to like me somehow. Ray now visibly softened, telling Angelica how much he liked her as a person and that he never would have taken her had he known her better. He even let her call a friend to arrange her bus fare to Albuquerque. After the call, which Ray carefully monitored, Angelica was handcuffed back to bed as her two jailers sat on the couch at 9 p.m. to watch the final part of the movie. Thank God for Stephen King, said Mangatano. Boy, they wanted to watch it. On early Saturday morning, David Ray got up and came over and locked the handcuffs and collar. After being chained up for four days, Angelica was terribly sore, and the burns from the electric stun gun were hurting. Now Ray seemed almost paternal, making Montano a mug of coffee and giving her back her clothes. After she'd put on her t-shirt and jeans, Ray asked her to come over to the bed and give him a hug. He told me everything was going to be all right, she said. And he goes, don't worry, nothing's going to happen to you. I was playing the part with him, like I was a friend. It's a good thing I did play head games with him and get to be get him to be on my side. If I would have fought them and started being a bitch, I think I would have died. As Ray and Hendy drove her to a bus stop on the northbound exit of I-25, Angelica told them how she'd love to do it again someday. Only the next time, she said, she did not want to be the victim. One of the 
accounts that I read said that he actually bathed her inside and out, stating that he wanted to make sure there was no DNA on her. She was picked up by an off-duty officer. So he's in plain clothes, he's giving her a ride, and she just tells him everything that just happened. But she refused to go to the cops. So he dropped her off where she wanted to be dropped off, and she wound up moving. The next victim that we know of is Kelly Van Cleve, also known as Kelly Garrett. It's interesting to see how many different ways her name was spelled. So it's either K-E-L-L-Y or K-E-L-L-I, and Cleave is either C-L-E-A-V-E or C-L-E-V-E. But at least they did the same name. So no matter how you spell it, it's either Kelly Garrett or Kelly Van Cleave. She was a 25-year-old. She suffered problems that made sex painful, which is important for a couple of reasons. So she had fought with her husband about it. They hadn't been together long. They were actually going to have a fake wedding to psych out this girl that was trying to steal him, but then they wound up really getting married, and they lived with his parents. He would have nothing to do with drugs. He was in the military, and it was really important to him that she didn't get involved with anyone like that. She was known for not partying, so she didn't drink even really. It was just that she would hang out with people that maybe would be involved with that, and he was discouraging her from doing that. His mom was already leery of the whole relationship. One night they had a fight, because she didn't want to have sex, she left the next morning and decided to go out with friends. So this was July 25th, 1996, at this point. She was a designated driver. As I stated, she was known not to drink very much. David Parker Ray's daughter, Jessie Ray, showed up. She often frequented the Blue Waters Saloon. Kelly had one beer. Now, at some point during the night, it turns out that everyone else left, and then Jessie said she'd give her a ride. So apparently she was a designated driver, but they left with the car. So she didn't have a ride. But as, as Jessie was driving on her motorcycle, she claimed she needed to go home to sober up and have some coffee. Kelly had been there before and had met David. She's like, whatever, that's fine. She, even though she only had one beer, she did feel strangely lightheaded and, and intoxicated. When they get to David's place, they ask her to wait in the living room. Jessie leaves the room, but then returns with David. One of them handcuffs her and the other one holds a knife to her throat. They take her to the toy box. She got so terrified she lost consciousness. While she was unconscious, they stripped her naked, put her on the gynecological table, bound her thighs and ankles with nylon straps, and attached to heavy chains secured to an elaborate overhead pulley system that he designed. She was suspended in the air and then lowered onto the table with her legs apart. He put a videotape in the VCR which was linked to an overhead camera with a wide-angle lens aimed straight at her body, and he started to record her. Her arms were over her head, her knees were bent, and her legs were apart. He played her his orientation tape. She also noted that he was unable to maintain an erection, so he picked up a dildo, and he tried to insert it into her vagina, but it failed to go inside. So once again, it's important to note that she had... Uh, I can't remember exactly what the issue was, um... But she did have a physical issue that made it hard for things to be inserted into her. So he kept having problems, and he was getting frustrated because he kept trying, and she kept saying that it was too painful. It, it, it's interesting that he would actually stop when she would say how painful it was. And then he told her a story about being part of a satanic group, and they'd been watching her for a long time. They wanted her as a sex toy. They would be mad that the dildos wouldn't fit, 
because she wouldn't be of any use to them. So after about 30 futile attempts, Ray gave up and walked out of the trailer, leaving her helplessly tied on the table for the rest of the night. Over the next three days, he would return to the toy box on at least five more occasions. Still wouldn't fit. He did let her go to the restroom at one point, but of course he led her like an animal. Those details were from Cries in the Desert. Finally, on Sunday morning, he decided to let her go. He had drugged her, including phenobarbital and antriptyline, dressed up in his ranger uniform, put her in his car, and took her to her in-law's house. So this was over that period of three days when she was missing. Keep in mind, she'd had this big fight with her husband. They already were on shaky ground. The mom already was kind of not sure about her. And then all of a sudden she disappears. The husband hears that she was out partying. So he thinks the worst. He's drinking and, you know, unconsolable. He figures she ran off with another man. He's ready to divorce her. And of course, that girl that they had gotten married to try to chase her away because she wanted to steal him. Of course, she swoops in and she's convincing him, oh, she's this terrible person and you should divorce her. So that's the scene that she comes back to. He drives up in his ranger car in his ranger uniform. They know that this is Jesse's dad, so they figure he's a trustworthy person. Kelly looks terrible. She's disheveled, and she had known for her she was known for her cleanliness as well. But she was dirty. She was wearing the same clothes. She looked drugged out of her mind. And he tells them he found her roaming around the beach incoherent. So he took her to Earl's Diamond Gas Station for coffee. Now, I had one book that said it was tea from McDonald's, but apparently on the trial in this one book, they claim Kelly and her husband both say that he took her for coffee. So personally, I don't think that I would want coffee if I was dehydrated, but what do I know? Maybe he was worried she'd drink too much. I mean, he didn't even get her the damn coffee, <laughs> but it's these details that I get caught up on. Like I admit the first thing I thought was, why the hell would he give her coffee if she's dehydrated? But Todd pointed out, coffee is mostly water. So it counts. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, he was afraid if she drank too much water, she'd get sick. So that story would work for, I don't know. Who the hell knows? The bottom line is he claims that he was tending to her needs because he was worried about her because he found her. And she was obviously in distress. Since she looked drugged and all disheveled, they assumed she'd been partying. She, she could not remember where she was. When they would ask her, where were you? She's like, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't know anything. So they would not even let her in the house. They said, he's going to divorce her, get the hell out. If you want, maybe, you know, we'll throw your stuff on the porch and you, you can come get it later. So she left with David Parker Ray and he took her someplace else. That just, to me, is just such a terrible, horrible thought is that she had to leave with a man who had done these terrible things to her. And granted, she couldn't remember that at the time. But how fucking sad and scary is that? That she got spurned by her loved ones, so she had to leave with her abductor. In one book, they said, and I quote, When he had enough, he slashed her throat and dumped her on the side of the road, but he didn't realize she was actually still alive. Where the hell did he get that information? Because I did not read that anywhere else. So years later, after he was captured, they found video evidence of a young naked blonde with Bo Derek braids and a tribal swan tattoo. 
you could see her face clearly in the six minutes silent video. She was strapped to a weight bench with arms bound above her head, her legs and stirrups spread apart, and Ray was touching and fondling her, her mouth covered in duct tape. In one account, they received a lead that the girl's name was Kelly. They found out her ex-mother-in-law, and then they found Kelly, who they played the video for and she recognized the tattoo. She had been having nightmares and questioning the time with Ray and Hendy, but since she had been drugged and she was having trouble wrapping her mind about whether it happened or not, it was all too frightening and it was, it was too much. But seeing this video just solidified something really had happened and she really had been abducted and had these things done to her. In the book Consequences, it said the mom-in-law saw the news report about everything and called them saying, you know, at this point in time, my ex-daughter-in-law said she was abducted. He dropped her off. So now I'm wondering if she might be one of the girls. And that's when they contacted Kelly. So I don't know how they exactly found Kelly and the mother-in-law, but I guess the part that matters is they found Kelly and they spoke with the mother-in-law and the mother-in-law obviously just felt absolutely horrified that they didn't believe Kelly and it actually had happened. The next victim, which is the only one that someone got convicted for, was Marie Parker. She dated Roy Yancey in 1996. And to refresh, Roy Yancey was friends with Jesse Ray and Cindy Hendy had kind of dated them apparently. So Roy was all mixed up and David Ray and Jesse Ray and Cindy Hendy, they're all involved. So Marie Parker dated Yancey. She had trouble with drugs got clean for a bit, then fell back into it. Jessie let her stay in a tent on her father's campsite on the beach. She went to Blue Water's saloon to get drugs from Jessie. Now, according to Yancey, Jessie was with him and the three left to meet a drug dealer. Instead, Marie wound up in cuffs at gunpoint and was taken to David's place. Yancey said he saw Jessie take her into the toy box. She was in there for three days, but he never went in. After three days, they told him they were done playing with her, end of quote, so she had to go. Yancey said while she was bound to the cot, he put a rope around her neck and choked her. She came to and started to struggle, so he put a knee on her chest and used all his strength until she went limp and turned blue. Later, it was alleged that Jesse held a gun to his head and that David videotaped it and sold it. Marie Parker was 22 years old and was missing for several days when her mom went to the cops. The investigation revealed she was last seen at the Blue Water Saloon drinking with Jesse Ray. Jesse said Marie was drunk so she drove her home. But the investigation really didn't go anywhere. They never found the body. And even after Yancey was caught and he confessed, he took him to where the body was and it was not there. So apparently David Parker Ray moved it. And now the victim that gets them caught. Her name is Cynthia Vigil. And again, the name spelling is just, I don't know. It's spelled Cindy, C-I-N-D-Y, C-I-N-D-I, or C-Y-N-D-Y. The only reason I could think of they might do C-Y-N-D-Y is because of Cindy Hendy. So when they were talking about Cindy with Cindy, they went it away. Although they could have just called one Cynthia. I don't know. At any rate... I do know her name was Cynthia Vigil, and they called her Cindy, whether she, however the hell it was spelled. On March 18th, Hendy and Ray were looking for a sex slave 
so Hendy could go visit her pregnant daughter because Ray insisted that while she was gone, he had a plaything. So she agreed, okay, we'll go get you a girl before I leave. They saw the prostitute Cynthia Vigil, who was 22. Now, in one account, it said it was March 18th, as I just stated. Another account, it was March 19th. It seems like it was actually on March 20th. So I'm going to go with March 20th as the actual date. He said he wanted oral sex, so she got in the RV. He pulled out a badge and said she was being arrested for prostitution. Hendy came out of the bathroom. Either she had handcuffs or a stun gun. There's different accounts. Vigil tried to get away, but they wound up cuffing her. One account says Hendy was drinking wine, and they even stopped so she could buy cigarettes and more wine. They took off Vigil's clothes, put a metal collar on her, shackles on her feet, and a leather mask over her head with no eye holes and a zipper over the mouth. They took her into the house, chained her to the bed, and played the audio tape for her. She said Ray placed dildos into her vagina and rectum at the same time while Hendy watched. They did shock therapy, attached electrical connections to her breast, while Hendy stayed close with a gun. In one account, Vigil said they put hot gravy on her belly and had a dog lick it off. Another account says he put it inside her with his fingers and then had the dog lick it out. The next day, they put clips on her breasts, hooked to a pulley system, and then they shocked her with a cattle prod while her breasts were stretched. They hung her from the ceiling in the bedroom by her arms and legs, whipped her on the back with a leather whip, and then put a large metal dildo into her vagina. On March 22nd, and this is... Pretty much in everything that I read, March 22nd is the agreed-upon day. Ray went to work and left her with Hendy. Hendy went to make sandwiches or watch TV or do housework. The examples vary. She left the keys to the chains in the room on the coffee table. Vigil noticed, so she stretched across the bed, wrapped her feet around the table base, and pulled it towards her. She was able to reach over to get the keys, push the table back in place, so if Hendy came back, she wouldn't see anything was amiss. She freed herself, tried to call the cops. Hendy came in, caught on to what was going on, grabbed the nearby glass lamp, and smashed it on Vigil's head. Vigil saw an ice pick, so she grabbed it and stabbed Hendy in the head and runs out of the house. So at 3 p.m., Around 3 p.m., 3.15 p.m., wearing only a padlocked metal collar with a four or five foot length of chain trailing behind her, covered in blood from a head wound, body black and blue from days of beatings and torture. She's running down the street. Two drivers see her and swerve. Leave her the hell alone because, you know, they don't know what the hell's going on. She finally finds a trailer home, bursts in on this woman, and the woman calls the cops. The cops were... Obviously suspicious because a woman called and said this naked woman's in my house and she's wearing a dog collar and chains and is bruised and bloody and looked like she shit herself. So they were obviously concerned about that. But what's also interesting is that 911 call that she had made from David Parker Ray's house and hung up. So they got that call first. And then just a few minutes later, they get the call from the woman saying that, you know, someone broke into her house saying that they had been tortured and kidnapped. Obviously, they came to investigate. They went to David's house, and no one was there. They drove around trying to find Ray and Hendy. 
which they did. They found them within 15 minutes driving around looking for Vigil. They claimed they had been trying to help her kick drug addiction. So they said she asked them if they would tie her up and do whatever they needed to do to try to help her kick her heroin addiction. Amazingly enough, they didn't believe them, so they were arrested. Now we'll talk about the property. To give you an idea of what this property looked like, there was a six-foot-high fence with a double-wide gate to accommodate RVs, a green-and-white main mobile home set back with several sheds, a bait trailer, and some old boat remains on each side of the half-acre dirt yard. There was a smaller, windowless white cargo trailer with an air conditioner unit on the outside about 30 feet from the house. Details about the toy box itself. It was a $100,000 homemade torture chamber that was an 8-foot by 20-foot trailer. There was a sign that said Satan's Den, one that said Bondage Room, and another that said, I'm rather busy, would you please piss off? They had soundproofed the trailer from top to bottom, installed a deadbolt lock with reinforced steel frame, the air conditioner was put in so the captives wouldn't suffocate, and there was a portable toilet. So already he's a step above Heidnik. He allowed them a toilet. This is from Cries in the Desert. The toy box was equipped with an elaborate system of pulleys, as well as numerous gurneys, weights, pliers, clamps, whips, scalpels, chains, and padlocks. On the walls were photographs and drawings of women being tortured, and a glass cabinet containing a diorama of naked toy figures engaged in bondage activities. Other medical cabinets lined the walls, containing syringes, chemicals, different-sized dildos, electrical cattle prods, and other devices to inflict pain. But his piece de resistance was a remote-controlled gynecological chair, complete with stirrups. It was designed to slide freely back and forth on a six-foot track so it could be positioned under captives suspended in mid-air. It also had electrodes at the head and midsection so his female victims could be given electric shocks. There was even a TV monitor so they could watch themselves being tortured. A seven-foot-long coffin lay across one side of the toy box, complete with restraint hooks at either end and ventilation holes. Nearby were the pieces of equipment he'd neatly labeled vaginal stretcher, ankle spreader, and knee spreader. He also had psychological and physical procedures, initial handling of the captive personal fetish. Get ready. I'm reading the 18 steps. Number one, the new female captive should be gagged and blindfolded with wrists and ankles chained. Two, move her into the recreational room, place her body under the suspension chains. Three, stand her up under the chains and lock her wrists well above her head. Four, place the neck chain around her neck and lock it into place. It is permanent. Five, clip her leg irons to the floor chain. Six, use scissors to slowly remove her dress, blouse, or sweater. Cut and remove her bra. 7. Fondle and abuse her breasts, nipples, and other parts of her body. 8. Keep her blindfolded to increase disorientation. Use verbal abuse. And then, of course, there are suggestions. Dumb bitch, slut, etc. 9. 
Slowly unzip, open, and remove the lower clothing. Cut or rip the panties off. 10. Fondle and abuse her sex organs. Continue the verbal abuse. 11. Attach the overhead suspension straps to her body, ankles, waist, hips, and upper chest. 12. Remove the leg irons and tighten the ankle straps, pulling her legs upwards until the middle part of her body is horizontal. The ankle straps will force her legs wide apart. 13. Tighten and adjust the waist, hips, and chest straps until the middle of her body is straight. Clip the short forechain to the bottom ring on the waist belt so she cannot jerk or lift her body upward. 14. At this point, the captive is suspended at a convenient height, immobilized, and fully exposed. She is uncomfortable, disoriented, and probably terrified. Don't cut her any slack. Continue the verbal and physical abuse. Keep her mentally off balance. 15. Play with her sex organs. Rape her vagina and anus. Force large dildos deep into both holes. Use clamps, needles, and other devices on her tits and sex organs. Clip and cut lips. Whip her and use electroshock. 16. Don't give her time to collect her thoughts. Use her body aggressively during the first hour or two. She will sweat, struggle a lot, and exhaust herself, particularly if the electric shock machine is used extensively. 17. Intensify her fear. Tell her how she's going to be kept as a sex slave. Describe in detail how she will be continuously raped and tortured. Work on her mind as well as her body. 18. Keep her body suspended two or three hours. Then lower the gynecological bench directly beneath her. Lower her body onto the bench, release one arm or leg at a time, and secure it to the bench until she is strapped down. Buckle all the straps on her body until she is totally immobilized, feet in the stirrups, and knees forced wide apart. Note, the shock value of disorientation plus continuous verbal and physical abuse during the first few hours of confinement will have a great influence on how docile and subdued the captive will be during the remaining period of captivity. If it is done properly, she will be intimidated and much easier to handle. So in addition to the 18 points on how to handle a captive, he also had a sign-up warning what captured women will do to be freed. Remember, women will do or say anything to get loose. They will scratch, offer money, yell, beg, scream, run, offer sex, excuses and sob stories, menstruating, pregnant, VD, sick, kids with babysitter, a sick baby, a sick parent, claustrophobia, missed by husband or friend, bad heart, can't miss school, don't let her get to you. If she was worth taking, she is worth keeping. And she must be subjected to hypnosis before the woman can be safely released. Never trust a chained captive. One of the most popular David Parker Ray quotes is, if she was worth taking, she is worth keeping. When the cops entered the house, the bedroom had blood smears on the sheets, broken glass was everywhere, something that looked like a coffin was lying on one wall besides a collection of large rubber dildos perched on a trophy stand. Several half-inch steel rods bolted to the ceiling supported a sophisticated set of pulley devices pulley devices 
fashioned out of heavy chains. Attached to it were assorted clamps and weights, which could be slid across the room. The FBI found hundreds of videotapes and photographs of scores of victims, nearly all identifiable. There was more than 2,000 pieces of evidence, including journals, drawings, and audio recordings, and one useful video. Among the journals they found he had started while he was 15, it included a ranking system from 1 to 3, 3 being unappealing. He did not include names or what he did to them afterwards. They also found other uniforms in his closet, which he probably used pretending to be a cop or some other authority figure. He had a don't forget list written in red letters. Don't forget the unexpected. Neck chain, handcuffs, leg irons, hood or gag, wrist or ankle tape bondage bar, phone, radio mic, door deadbolt, alarm system, and keys. In the Consequences book, it stated there was only one video found that depicted a victim being held captive, and that was Kelly Van Cleve. Well, in the book Slow Death, it seemed like a lot of the information matched the other sources. But there are some details in there that I'm a little unsure of. For example, it states, according to a police search warrant on April 13th, 1999, and I quote, the black mask in the storage shed appears from the description given to be the mask or similar mask, which Ray has been observed wearing in videotapes, which were seized from his residence and which were reviewed by officers pursuant to previous search warrants. They also claim they found a long black robe on a hanger, which had a red cape, a clipboard next to the robe with a list of kidnapped victims from 1993 to, 19 1993 to 1997 with notch marks. So it says kidnap date, number of assaults. And underneath, it has February 7th, 1994, 27 notches. April 16th, 1994, 33 notches. So there's a list of this. It looks, I mean, I don't know why they would pull this out of their ass and throw this in there. So I'm assuming that's probably right. I just think it's weird that as detailed as these other books got, they didn't have that chart also. Unless this person happened to have access to something no one else did. If this is true... The number of assaults, the most that he did was 51 on one woman. It seems most of the time he did at least 27, and this goes from, like I said, 1993 to 1997. The book starts where supposedly the agents were watching a video of Ray and Hendy sticking a hot kettle prod inside a woman's vagina. They said he's wearing a long black robe and a black leather mask sprinkled with gold glitter. He prodded her while Hendy waved a gun. It went on until blood oozed out of her mouth and ears. A moment later, her head slumped to the side and her body went limp. And they refer to this video a couple of times, how it's very obvious that the woman died. But, again, I'm a little unsure about that detail when everything else that I'm seeing is just saying they found the one video with Kelly Van Cleve on it. You would think that if they found this other video that was an obvious snuff video, it would be in more information unless they just had this one person had that access to that detail so i'm not i'm not 100 percent buying into they actually found a snuff video but i will also say that i would not be surprised at all if he actually killed people part of the reason i'm including him in this and i think why i've noticed a lot of resources are mentioning him amongst serial killers is because it's highly unlikely he did not kill people. It is likely he killed people. So 
I guess I'm just questioning whether they actually found a video of it or not. Again, in that same source, they say they found shocking videos, possible snuff films, a bunch of audio tapes that Ray made for the Vicks. He, they heard that Ray had called it his play box until Hendy encouraged him to call it the toy box. Again, that was the only reference I saw where it was called the play box. Doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just interesting that that's the only place that I ever saw that. They also claim there was a list of torture recommendations like use a warm soldering iron up inside her vagina or pluck pubic hairs out one at a time using a small pair of tweezers. Again, I didn't see that anywhere else, but that sounds pretty much like something that he would do. So that specific detail, I wouldn't be surprised if that was in there. Now we're going to get into the super really upsetting graphic part. The transcript of his orientation introduction audio tape. This is a, this is seriously going to get rough, but I think it's important to bring this to you in its entirety. As I had mentioned before on last podcast on the left, that was the first time I had ever heard of David Parker Ray. In that episode, they do read through some of the transcript. So when I was doing my own research on it, I found bits and pieces of the transcript and different resources. So it was interesting that, for example, in one book, it says he's into anal sex. In another one, it says he's into animal sex. And then again, in another one, it says anal sex. I think from the context, it's actually anal sex, as you'll see, because I'm actually about to read the transcript. I noticed in one resource, it said it has some more information in a certain part, and the wording's a little different than in one of the other sources that I had. There were a couple discrepancies that I saw between them. Like one said it's soundproof, the other said virtually soundproof. One said, anytime you're left unattended in the room. Another says, if you are in the room alone. One says, half the women in America. Another says, half the women would. Some of them don't include information about what he would have the dogs do, and then others would. There's some extra details in the Serial Killer magazine that are not in another one of the references. So I was starting to think, well, maybe there are different tapes that they're pulling the transcripts from. And I did find in one that there were apparently six tapes made that they found. It seems that the Serial Killer magazine issue 13 that seems to be the complete transcript from what I can piece together from what is in Slow Death, Consequences, I Monster, Cries in the Desert. It seems to have everything pretty much together in there. So get ready. This is a lot. So keep in mind, he recorded this to play after a woman has been abducted, drugged, strapped to a bed or the gynecological table. She wakes up. She's woozy, doesn't really understand what's going on or where she is. She's naked, has a metal padlock around her neck, and is strapped down to this table. And she hears this. Hello there, bitch. Are you comfortable right now? I doubt it. Wrists and ankles chained, gagged, probably blindfolded. You're disoriented and scared too, I would imagine. Perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while at least. You need to get your shit together and listen to this tape. It is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you, in detail, 
why you have been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you, and how long you'll be here. I don't know the details of your capture, because this tape is being created July 23, 1993, as a general advisory tape for future female captives. The information I'm going to give you is based on my experience dealing with captives over a period of several years. If, at a future date, there are any major changes in our procedures, the tape will be upgraded. Now, you are obviously here against your will, totally helpless, don't know where you're at, don't know what's going to happen to you. You're very scared or very pissed off. I'm sure that you've already tried to get your wrists and ankles loose and know you can. Now you're just waiting to see what's going to happen next. You probably think you're going to be raped and you're fucking sure right about that. Our primary interest is what you've got between your legs. You'll be raped thoroughly and repeatedly in every hole you've got. Because, basically, you've been snatched and brought here for us to train and use as a sex slave. Sound kind of far out? Well, I suppose it is to the uninitiated. But we do it all the time. It's going to take a lot of adjustment on your part, and you're not going to like it a fucking bit. But I don't give a big rat's ass about that. It's not like you're going to have any choice in the matter. You've been taken by force, and you're going to be kept and used by force. What all this amounts to, that you're going to be kept naked and chained up like an animal to be used and abused at any time we want to, any way we want to. And you might as well start getting used to it, because you're going to be kept here and used until such time as we get tired of fucking around with you. And we will, eventually, in a month or two, maybe three. It's no big deal. My lady friend and I have been keeping sex slaves for years. We both have kinky hang-ups involving rape, dungeon games, etc. We found that it is extremely convenient to keep one or two female captives available constantly to, uh, satisfy our particular needs. We are very selective when we snatch a girl to use for these purposes. It goes without saying that you'll have a fine body and you're probably young, maybe very young, because, for our purposes, we prefer to snatch girls in the early to mid-teens, sexually developed, but still small-bodied, scared shitless, easy to handle and easy to train, and they usually have tight little pussies with assholes. They make perfect slaves. Any time that we can go on a hunting trip, if we can't find a little teenager, we usually start hitting the gay bars, looking for a well-bit, big-titted lesbian. I thoroughly enjoy raping and screwing around with lesbians. And there's not as much danger of them carrying a sexually transmitted disease. I don't like using condoms. Also, even though they're a little older, unless they've been playing with dildos a lot, they still have tight holes between their legs like the younger girls. If we can't find a lesbian that we want, we snatch anything that is young, clean, and well-built. We very seldom come back empty-handed, because there's plenty of bitches out there to choose from. And with a little practice and deception, most of them is very easy to get with little risk. At this point, it makes little difference what category you fall into. You're here, and we're going to make the most of it. You're going to be kept in a hidden slave room. It is relatively soundproof, escape-proof, and it is completely stocked with devices and equipment to satisfy our sexual fetishes and deviations. There may be or may not be another girl in the room. Occasionally, for variety, we like to keep two slaves at the same time. In any case, as a new girl, you'll definitely be getting the most attention for a while. Now, as I said earlier, you're going to be kept like an animal. 
I guess I've been doing this too long. I've been raping bitches ever since I was old enough to jerk off and tie little girls' hands behind their back. As far as I'm concerned, you're a pretty piece of meat to be used and exploited. I don't give a flying fuck about your mind or how you feel about the situation. You may be married, you may have a kid or two, boyfriend, girlfriend, job, car payment. Fuck it. I don't give a rad's ass about any of that, and I don't want to hear about it. It's something you're going to have to deal with after your turn loose. I make it a point never to like a slave, and I fucking sure don't have any respect for you. Here, your status is no more than one of the dogs or one of the animals out in the barn. Your only value to us is the fact that you have an attractive, usable body. And, like the rest of our animals, you'll be fed and watered, kept in good physical condition, kept reasonably clean and allowed to use a toilet when necessary. In return, you're going to be used hard, especially during your first few days while you're new and fresh. You're going to be kept chained in a variety of different positions, usually with your knees or legs forced wide apart. Your pussy and asshole is going to get a real workout, especially your asshole, because I'm into anal sex. Also, both of those holes are going to be subjected to a lot of use with some rather large dildos, among other things, and it goes without saying that there's going to be a lot of oral sex. On numerous occasions, you're going to be forced to suck cock and eat pussy until your jaws ache and your tongue is sore. You may not like it, but you're fucking sure going to do it. That's the easy part. Our fetishes and hang-ups include stringent bondage, dungeon games, a little sadism. Nothing serious, but uncomfortable, sometimes painful. Just a few little hang-ups that we like to use when we're getting off on a bitch. <laughs> if you're a teeny bopper and ignorant about fetishes and deviations, you're about to get an enlightening crash course in sex. Who knows? You may like some of it. That happens occasionally. If we want to take time and trouble, even under these conditions, most bitches can be brought to orgasm. Now, I've already told you that you're going to be here a month or two, maybe three, if you keep us turned on. If it's up to my lady, we'd keep you indefinitely. She says it's just as much fun and less risky. But personally, I like a variety. Fresh pushy now and then to play with. We take four or five different girls each year, depending on our urges and sometimes accidental encounters. Basically, I guess, we're like predators. We're always looking. Occasionally, some sweet little thing will be broke down on the side of the road, walking, bicycling, jogging. Anytime an opportunity like that presents itself and it's not too risky, we'll grab her. Even if we've already got a captive in the playroom, variety is definitely the spice of life. No, I'm sure that you're a great little piece of ass and you're going to be a lot of fun to play with, but I will get tired of you eventually. If I killed every bitch that we kidnapped, there'd be bodies strung all over the country. And besides, I don't like killing a girl unless it is absolutely necessary. So I've devised a safe, alternate method of disposal. I've had plenty of bitches to practice on over the years, so I've pretty well got it down pat. And I enjoy doing it. I get off on mind games. After we get completely through with you, you're going to be drugged up real heavy with a combination of sodium pentothal and phenobarbital. They are both hypnotic drugs that will make you extremely susceptible to hypnosis, auto-hypnosis, and hypnotic suggestion. You're going to be kept drugged a couple of days while I play with your mind. By the time I get through brainwashing you, you're not going to remember a fucking thing about this little adventure. You won't remember this place, us, or what happened to you. There won't be any DNA evidence because you'll be bathed, and both holes between your legs will be thoroughly flushed out. 
You'll be dressed, sedated, and turned loose on some country road, bruised, sore all over, but nothing that won't heal up in a week or two. The thought of being brainwashed may not be appealing to you, but we've been doing it a long time and it works. And it's the lesser of two evils. I'm sure that you would prefer that, in lieu of being strangled or having your throat cut. Okay, undoubtedly, someone's going to be looking for you. There may or may not be a missing persons report. But nobody's going to be looking for you here. They don't have any idea where you're at. You don't even know where you're at. We're always very careful about that. There are not going to be any knights in shining armor coming to rescue you. You are strictly on your own. And under the circumstances, I bet that's a scary thought. If there is another girl in the room, she won't be able to help you either. Because she's going to be in the same position you're in. As for escaping, I'm sure you'll try to figure out a way. That's human nature. But it's not hardly even worth talking about here. It would not be prudent on our part to have you run around the woods screaming rape. It would be an embarrassment, to say the least. Consequently, you're going to be kept in an environment that is even more secure than a prison cell. If it has not already been done, very shortly a steel collar is going to be padlocked around your neck. It has a long, heavy chain that is padlocked to a ring on the floor. The collar will never be removed until you are turned loose. It's a permanent fixture. The hidden playroom where you're going to be kept has steel walls, floor, and ceiling. It's virtually soundproof and has a steel door with two keyed locks. The hinges are welded on and there are two heavy deadbolts on the outside. The room is totally escape-proof, even with tools. Anytime you are left unattended in the room, your wrists will be chained and there are electronic sensors to, uh, let us know if you move around too much. And if that's not enough, there is a closed-circuit TV system with a surveillance camera. It's wired to the main TV in the living room so we can check on you once in a while or just sit and watch you for the fun of it. Electronics is a wonderful thing. Expensive, but hell... Everything in the room is expensive and damn well worth it. If everybody knew how much fun it was to keep a sex slave, half the women would be chained up in somebody's basement. Anyway, we've had a lot of practice at this and uh, we're not real concerned about you escaping. You're fucking sure not going to go anywhere. Now, if you're not already naked, you soon will be. Your clothing will be bagged up and saved until such a time as we decide to turn you loose. As far as being naked goes... You might as well get used to it. For what you're going to be used for, clothing would just be in the way. Besides, I like watching a naked woman's body. All of it. Whether it be in a room or on a TV set. As I've already said, you'll be fed and watered on a regular basis. Not as much of either as you're used to, I'm sure, but enough to keep you healthy. You'll only be fed once a day like the rest of the animals. And, during the first few days, until you adjust to it and your stomach shrinks up, you're going to feel a little weak and you'll be hungry all the time. It won't take long. Three or four days. During the first few days, until you adjust to the environment, I prefer to keep you in a weakened condition anyway. Now you already know that you've been kidnapped and brought here for us to train and use as a sex slave. I realize being abducted and being forced into sexual slavery is a hard pill to swallow. Some girls really have a lot of trouble with it, and I'm sure that you will. To a certain extent. But face it, you can't get away. You can't say no. You're gonna be naked all the time. You won't be able to struggle or resist. You're gonna have to lay there and take it. Good or bad. No matter what is being done to you. 
scary thought. Yes, but there are no options. Nothing that you can say or do will change the fact that it's going to happen. Many girls beg and plead. Almost all of them cry a lot, especially during the first three or four days. And some of them scream or threaten. But I have a poster on the wall in the playroom that says it all. If they're worth taking, they're worth keeping. I'm going to tell you, just so you know, since you are being kept here against your will, we will never trust anything you say, do, or promise. You are a potential threat and will be treated as such. On numerous occasions, bitches have told me that they'd do anything I wanted them to do if I'd just take the chains off. I've been offered ransom money, and I've even had girls tell me they liked it. But I like to use the chains. Money's not that important, and masochists are rare as hell. I wonder what your scam's gonna be. Not anything I haven't heard before, I bet, if you give a chance to talk at all. Well, let's change the subject. A little bit. You already know that, for the most part. You're gonna be kept in the playroom. But, once in a while, we like to take a captive into the bedroom. And chains, of course. Also... We have a couple of real close friends that party once in a while. They know about our hang-ups and don't have any problem with fucking a slave. You may be required to service them occasionally, but that's an easy one for the most part. Just fucking and sucking. They don't get into the heavier stuff. However, when we have a party, sometimes I'd like to put on a little show you won't like at all. You'll be taken into the living room and put on the floor on your hands and knees, naked. Your wrists, ankles, knees, and hips will be strapped to a metal frame to hold your body in that position. The frame is designed for doggy fucking. Your ass up in the air, sex organs exposed, your tits hanging down on each side of a metal support bar, knees spread about 12 inches, positioned similar to that of a bitch dog in heat, right in the middle of the floor so we can sit on the couch and in chairs and watch. I'm going to rub canine breeder's musk on your back the back of your neck, and on your sex organs. Now I have three dogs, all of them male, because I don't need any fucking pups. One of them is a very large German shepherd that is always horny, and he loves it when I bring him in the house to fuck a woman. After I let him in the house, he'll sniff around you a bit, and within a minute, he'll be mounting you. There's about a 50-50 chance which hole he'll get his penis into, but it doesn't seem to bother him whether it's the pussy or the asshole. His penis is pretty thin. It goes in easy. But it's about 10 inches long, and when he gets completely excited, it gets a hell of a knot right in the middle of it. Now, I've had slaves tell me that it feels like they got a baseball inside of him. It doesn't take long. He's going to hump you real fast for about three or four minutes, and while he's doing it, he'll wrap his front legs around your chest to hold himself in position, and in the process, he'll probably scratch your tits up a little bit with his claws. After he gets through, he usually turns around and tries to pull out. Oh, he'll jerk a little. Not much. Mostly just steady pressure. And I've timed it. The knot will usually shrink up enough to come out of your pussy in about three minutes. If he's in your asshole about five minutes. I don't use the dog all that often, but I don't deprive him of pussy either. There's no doubt that he's going to be in you a few times while you're here, because I like watching it. And anytime it's just you, me and the dog, it will always be in your butt. The dog knot in his penis is big and extremely uncomfortable when he's uh, pushing it back and forth way up in her anus. I enjoy watching a girl wiggle and jerk and squirm around while he's doing it. Consequently, I give him a little uh, 
assistance in getting it in the right hole. Now, if you think of all this stuff as sick and depraved, you haven't seen anything yet. This is a different world. Among our small circle of friends, little things like rape, kidnapping, doggy fucking, stuff like that, are everyday occurrences. Matter of course. Here, anything can happen, and often does. We like living in the mountains because it's quiet, secluded, private, and everybody minds their own business. The only close house belongs to our friends. They don't hear or see anything. Okay, let's talk about uh, your training, the rules, and punishment. Here, you are the slave, and discipline is extremely strict. You're going to be given a set of rules, things you can and cannot do, and you will learn to comply because each time you violate a rule, you will be punished. As soon as each rule is told to you, it will become law as far as you are concerned. And you know what's going to happen every time you fuck up. We'll use a couple methods of punishment. A whip is an excellent training aid. So is an electroshock machine. Anytime you get out of line, one or both will be used in your body, I assure you. It will not be pleasant. There's not many rules, and they're very easy to remember. But you're going to make mistakes. Every slave does. I don't like repeat offenders. It gets me very upset. During the first few hours, the first time you violate a certain rule, tape recording skips here. A teaching process. The second time you violate the same rule, you'll be lightly punished. And the third time you violate it, it's going to be full punishment. After the first day, we won't cut you any slack at all. We will expect total obedience. Now let's start this off right. You're a slave. You don't realize it yet, but you will eventually. I'm your master, and the lady is your mistress. You will be totally docile. You'll be very quiet, and you'll speak only when spoken to. Never initiate conversation. Keep your mouth shut. At any time that you are spoken to, you will be required to respond, and it will be with proper speech. Remember that we are in the dungeon game, and as long as you are here, it's the only game in town. Anytime that you are asked a question where yes or no is required, you will respond by saying, yes, master, no, mistress, no, master, etc. You will show proper respect. Having to use the word master or mistress may sound funny, petty, or vain to you. <laughs> That's all right. If you choose not to do it, you can laugh while you're being whipped or when your body is convulsing under the electroshock machine. You will respond to commands without protest or resistance. Do exactly what you're told, nothing else. Remember that here you are the slave and failure to respond to a command will definitely get you in trouble. If I decide to rape you in your pussy or in your asshole, don't resist or struggle. When I tell you to spread your legs or pull them back, you say yes, master, and obey the command. Because to do anything less will get you beaten. If I tell you I want to be sucked off, you say yes, master, and open your mouth. I <laughs> love oral sex, if it's done right. You're going to be taught exactly the way I like it. How to use your lips and tongue. We'll be practicing a lot, and each time, when I get ready to come, I'm going to push my penis down your throat and keep it there until I get through squirting. I'm not going to choke you, but you need to learn to hold your breath and to swallow every bit of sperm. If I see one drop leaking out of your mouth, I'm going to punch you. Basically, it's going to be the same with your mistress. If she demands oral sex, you say yes, mistress, and respond. She also will keep you using your tongue on her pussy until she gets off. 
Now I can't foresee what kind of bitch you're gonna be, how you feel about oral sex or any of that shit. But I'm gonna tell you this. If, during oral sex or at any other time, you should bite one of us, I'm gonna cut you a little bit. I'll cut your nipple off for a starter, and if it's a bad bite, I'll cut your tit off too. That may sound harsh, but your teeth are serious weapons and we're not gonna tolerate any shit from you. I've been bitten and I've cut off nipples, so don't fuck around. That's enough said about that. Remember the commands. Yes, master. No, mistress. If your mistress should come into the room and tells you to get on the floor or lay down on the floor, you say, yes, mistress, and then lay down on the floor exactly the way she told you to do. If she tells you to pull your knees up, you say, yes, mistress, and pull your knees up. If she tells you to spread your knees, you say, yes, mistress, and spread them wide apart and hold them there so she can play with your pussy, use dildos, or whatever. A slave must always obey every command and offer no resistance. Remember that. Never say no unless it's justified, like in response to a question. If either one, or both of us, decide to put you in a different bondage position, the chains will be taken off of the various parts of your body, wrists and ankles, never off your neck. Don't kick, struggle, or resist in any way. If you do, you're going to be in a world of hurt. If you're told to hold your leg out so a chain can be attached to your ankle, you say yes, master, or yes, mistress, and hold your leg out. For repeated rule violations, the punishments are eventually going to become harsh and even brutal, and you won't have anyone to blame but yourself. Now, I should also tell you that there's going to be times when the whip and electroshock is used not for punishment, but for our pleasure. The difference will be that when it's done for pleasure, the whip strokes will be much lighter. They'll sting like hell, but they won't have that burning sensation and leave welts that hurt for hours. As for the electroshock machine, the voltage will be turned down. It won't be the harsh electricity that uh, makes your body convulse and jerk all over the table. You haven't experienced any of that yet, but I'm sure that you will. To avoid these punishments, you're going to have to be very quiet, very docile, and very obedient. And I imagine that's going to be very hard for you to do. You'll probably try us a few times to see if this is real. <laughs> Most captives do. If you want, be my guest. That's all part of the game. Now let's discuss talking. You cannot talk. You cannot speak unless you've been given permission. I believe that rule gets more bitches in trouble than anything else because they can't keep their damn mouth shut. They always want to whine, beg, plead, try to talk me into turning them loose. I used to listen to it. I don't anymore. I enjoy the blessed silence. Around here, your mouth is for sucking, not talking. Around here, the only time I ever want to hear you initiate speech is if you have to use a restroom and you will learn to do it properly. Master, may I please use a restroom? Or, Mistress, may I please use the restroom? In response, we will ask you what you need to do. If you have to pee, you will say, P, master, or P, mistress. If you have to crap, you'll say crap, mister, or crap, mistress. It will be done that way because quite often 
you will be in heavy restraints, a lot of straps on your body, chains on your wrists and ankles, a bunch of stuff that's uh, time-consuming and hard to let loose. If you have to pee, we'll use a bedpan. If you have to shit, you may have to hold it a while. Whatever the case, we need to know. And you definitely need to tell us. Because if you make a mess, you're going to be punished. And you have to clean it up. Now, I've covered the basics pretty thoroughly. You know to keep your mouth shut and to not to try to talk. You know the proper way to say master, mistress, and you know how you're expected to act and respond to commands. If you can learn to do all of that, there will not be a great deal of punishment. We'll get along pretty good. There's going to be a lot of other things done to your body besides fucking and sucking. But for that, for the most part, you'll either be in straight bondage or strapped down on a gynecology table. You won't be able to struggle or resist anyway. Now you're going to be required to learn fast. Training is not one of my favorite things to do, and I prefer fucking around with a slave that's already trained. I've already given you the basics, so there's not much to learn. But until you accept the fact that you are a slave, you're going to have problems with it. Remember that each time you fuck up, you're going to be punished. And after it's happened a few times, you're really going to dread it. Some girls tend to be a little rebellious. I sure as hell wouldn't advise that, because it will get you in serious trouble. Here, you definitely need to be docile. You're not in any position to do otherwise. We've done this so many times that we know exactly what we like to do with a slave. We don't go out of our way to brutalize a girl. If you don't give us any trouble, we won't do any more to your body than is necessary to satisfy our sexual needs. Initially, when we've got a new girl in the playroom, we're kind of like a kid with a new toy. You're fresh and exciting and we're going to spend a lot of time playing with you. Later, after the newness wears off, things will settle into something of a routine. We'll only be spending three or four hours each day in the playroom. You're going to have a lot of free time to rest, sleep, watch TV, or whatever. If you're acting halfway decent, you'll be left in a reasonably comfortable position so you can relax. As far as sex goes, your mistress is going to want her pussy eating a couple of times a day. For my part, I like getting off in a slave twice or sometimes three times a day, usually in her mouth or asshole. Don't get me wrong, I'm going to be sticking my dick in your cunt once in a while, too. But for the most part, when I use that hole, it's going to be with uh, large dildos. We're going to be in and out of the room several times each day, but you'll have a lot of free time. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's another side to the coin. Once in a while, we get a bitch that is resentful, rebellious, won't mind, uncooperative. That doesn't work here. I'm sure you realize you're on thin ice. As long as you have chains on your body, don't try either one of us. It is extremely dangerous to do because, if necessary, I am capable of doing things to your body and torturing you in ways that you can't even imagine. The playroom is equipped with a full set of surgical instruments which I have had occasion to use and will again if necessary. I've already told you what will happen if you buy it. To be completely safe here, you have to be docile. If you should accidentally or otherwise hurt, scratch, kick either one of us, you could be in very serious trouble. I'm sure you want to survive this experience, and I want you to also. But you are expendable, and it's no big deal to go out and snatch a replacement. 
and may sound harsh and cold, but if you give us too much trouble, or if you pose any kind of threat to us, I won't have qualms at all about slicing your throat. Like I said before, I don't like killing the girls that we bring here, but occasionally things happen. What can I say? I would really hate to have to dump that pretty little body off in a canyon somewhere to rot. I'm not just trying to scare you. That's just the way it is. Be nice. Keep your mouth shut. Learn the rules and survive. We're into S&M and you're going to be hurt a little, but everything we do to a girl is designed to cause pain, not injury. There's a big difference. No matter how painful it is, nothing we plan to do to your body will cause any serious or permanent damage. I'm not lying to you or trying to make it sound easier because that would be pointless. I'm just telling it like it is. That's the way we do things and that's the way it's going to be unless we have problems with you. I've already told you that you're going to be whipped lightly for pleasure. The electroshock will be used lightly for pleasure. Most of the other nasty little things we're going to do for the most part will be done to your breasts, nipples, and between your legs. The lady is fortunate. She can get off any time. She just likes to be a little sadistic with the slave once in a while. In my case, I cannot get off with a girl unless I hurt her first. That's basically the reason I'm into rape and slavery, and the reason you're going to be subjected to a certain amount of pain. Mostly what we do to a captive is stick needles in her breasts and through her nipples, through her cunt lips, through her clit, and I'm into stretching certain things. Clamps with long nylon cords on each one, will occasionally be put on your cunt lips so your pussy can be kept pulled open, and they're also going to be attached to your nipples. The nylon cords will be put through ceiling rings or rings on each side of the table and pulled very tight to stretch your tits. Occasionally, your clit will also be clamped and stretched, and we're going to be using dildos. <laughs> dildos are going to be used a lot, more than anything else, and consequently, what you're going to have the most trouble with. Many of them are long, very large in diameter, very painful when they're being forced in. Your mistress will use them in your pussy, and I like to see them in both holes. Actually, that part pretty well covers it. There's going to be a few other little things that we do. Nothing of any greater consequence, and not often, just variety. As far as needles goes, they'll always be sterilized. The clamps are going to hurt like a motherfucker, but they won't cause any permanent injury. They won't even break the skin. As far as the dildos, both of those holes between your legs will stretch a hell of a lot. It'll hurt, but they'll stretch. Your pussy is designed for a baby to come out of it, and we won't be using anything bigger than that. The really large ones will not be using your butt. I don't want to stretch that hole so big it's not usable for a fucking. Anyway, that pretty well covers that part of it. Let's see. What have I missed? Let's talk about screaming. Every once in a while, we get a screamer. Some bitch just wants to scream all the time. And it definitely gets them in trouble, because it gets them on nerves. Very shortly, that gag is going to be removed. We live in an isolated area, so screaming is not usually a problem. In the playroom, it's not much of a problem at all because of the soundproofing. But it irritates the fuck out of me. There is a time and a place. Occasionally, I like to hear a bitch scream, but usually not. The only thing that screaming is going to get you around here is a lot of punishment. And if you do it habitually, I will just keep a ball gag in your mouth all the time. It'll only be taken out for you to eat and suck. I've already told you about talking. Don't try to initiate conversation. Don't say anything. You will be punished. If you're a smoker, now's a good time to quit. 
I'm not going to buy you cigarettes, and if you ask for one, the only thing you're going to get is a few whip marks. Remember, when you're asked a question, you say yes, master, or no, master. If you have to go to the restroom, it's master or mistress. May I please go to the restroom? Any time that you are given a command, always acknowledge the order verbally. Yes, master, and then obey the order. That's not too difficult. A bright thing like you should be able to learn it real fast. There are going to be times when you're under stress, a certain amount of stress, and you may forget. That's no excuse. Each time you fuck up, you're going to be punished. After you're here for a few days, it'll eventually become automatic and they'll no longer be a problem. I realize that after a while, when I take the gag off, you're really going to want to try to talk to me. Talk me into turning you loose and such. It's because with your wrists and ankles chained, your mouth is the only defense you have. But don't do it. It won't work, and all it will bring is punishment. Your first day here is not going to be too difficult. There won't be any serious dungeon games. Your training has already been initiated, so you'll have to be very careful what you say and how you act. But for the most part, there's going to be a little exploring. We will become very familiar with your body and do a little fucking and sucking. We may tease you a little bit with some of our more humane toys, but nothing serious. It's going to be kind of an adjustment period. Don't say anything. Don't struggle or resist, no matter what we do, because we are going to start enforcing the rules immediately. Now later, I'm going to be asking you a bunch of questions. Since I'm going to be caring for your body for the next month or two or three, there are certain things that I need to know. I have prepared a questionnaire that I fill out with each new captive. Some of the questions are going to be embarrassing, but you should answer them truthfully and completely. You damn well better. I don't want to catch you in a lie. The questions will be in reference to your physical condition, any medical conditions that I need to know about, medications, sex habits, sexual preferences, any childbirth you might have had, period dates, and so forth. Now your training has already started. Each time I ask you one of those questions on the questionnaire, there's going to be a proper way to answer it, which I'll tell you about in a few minutes. While we go through the questionnaire, you're going to be strapped down on the gynecology table. Your feet will be in the stirrups and your knees will be pulled wide apart with everything exposed. I like to keep a girl that way while she's answering questions so I can examine and uh, verify anything she might tell me, which would affect her use as a sex slave. If you do have any kind of medical condition, by all means let me know. We'll discuss it and we may make adjustments. We won't turn you loose, but we may make adjustments. We're probably going to be starting on this questionnaire pretty soon. You'll be naked, and as I said, you'll be strapped down on the gynecology table so you can't wiggle or squirm around. You'll be talking quite a bit, answering the questions, so I'm sure that we'll start your speech training at the same time. Consequently, before we start on the questionnaire, two small electrical clamps will be put on your nipples. Each time a question is asked, you will respond properly. For instance, if I ask you how old you are, you will respond by saying, Master... I'm 19 years old. Answer the question completely and say nothing else. If the question requires a yes or no answer, say yes, master, or no, master. If I ask you your period dates, you say, master, my period is so-and-so. If I ask you about childbirth, you say no, master, or master, I had a baby a year ago, or whatever. Always start each sentence by saying master. And take your time. We're not going to be in any hurry. Think about what you're going to say before you say it. Because each time you fuck up, 
I'm going to press a little button and send a few thousand volts of electricity right through your nipples, right down into your tits. You're in training, so it would just be a quick blast. I'm not going to hold it down and torture you, but each time you screw up, it's going to be a little bit worse. So take your time. Answer the questions properly. I'm not going to push you. We're not going to be in any hurry. Think about each thing you're going to say and be damn sure and start your sentence with master. If you get through that, okay. Get your speech down pat. Keep your mouth shut and don't give us any trouble. Then the first day is going to be real pleasant for everybody. I'm going to put some dildos in those holes between your legs, but they won't be the big ones. Basically, I just want to become very familiar with your sex organs and the size of your holes. All girls are different. During the course of the day, you're going to be raped several times, but that's no big deal. The second day, after you get totally familiar with the rules and procedures, we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty. A lot of it will not be very pleasant for you, but you might as well get used to it because it's going to be like that for a while. Eventually, things will settle down a little. Then, just take it day by day. Well, I believe I've told you about everything that I can. I can't predict the future. I can't predict changes of procedure. But, if this tape is being played for you, I have to assume that it is still reasonably accurate, and I can only give you advice. Be smart and be a survivor. Don't ever scream. Don't talk without permission. Be very quiet. Be docile and obedient, and by all means, show proper respect. Have a nice day. So in the transcript, there's something along the lines of, if I had to kill everyone that caused trouble for me, they'd be all across the country. In the book, Consequences, the author literally says, all over the country? Not just Elephant Butte? Shit! That's one thing I have to say that is a little unexpected. It's just that candidness and being that blatant <laughs> to just say, shit. I like that because when you're dealing with such heavy material, it's nice to have that moment when it's real and there's a real reaction. So I like that every once in a while in this true crime reading, there's someone that literally just says, shit. You know, like <laughs> they're not completely blank with everything and and that this stuff is so big and heavy that we can all I mean even if you don't cuss in some capacity you might be thinking shit that is the automatic reaction they also said the f word in a couple of the books which kind of surprised me but again I like that I like that it feels authentic so I appreciate if you made it through that Hopefully my interpretation of that made it a little more palatable. It's a very, very difficult thing. I remember the first time that I listened to the last podcast on the left version when they were talking about the dogs and the size of the baseball. I literally had to pause it. So if you got through that without pausing, congratulations. If you had to pause, that's fine. I had all kinds of problems with researching this. So thank you for sticking through it. Um, I am going to take a second and describe the way that he made videos for people. I do think it's another interesting aspect of the way that he thought about things and the way that he handled things. This is from Slow Death by Jim Fielder. I make very special adult videos. The videos sell for about $1,000 each, and they're only sold to a very select group of collectors of sadistic erotica. 
I've learned over the years that there's a hell of a lot of people out there with some awful weird fantasies. I rather enjoy the work. The money's great. Our customers want a lot of wide-angle and close-up camera shots of the breasts, nipple, and sex organs being abused with a variety of instruments in a variety of ways. The action has to be real. It can't be faked. We need to actually kidnap a woman for the action scenes. Sometimes movies are shot in the woods, sometimes in a boat or in the desert. Other times we shoot you in a dungeon-type room in our house. The shooting of the action scenes usually takes three or four days. We videotape a dozen or so rapes, several whippings, and several hours of abuse with the woman chained to a variety of different positions. And if I say so myself, we put out some pretty damn good movies. There's a bright side to this. Before I turn you loose, I'm going to give you $100 for your trouble. 30 to 40% of the movie will be where the camera zooms in for a close-up between your legs. So all you have to do is show us what you've probably already shown some other poor sucker who had to pay a lot more than the hundred bucks to catch a glimpse of the promised land. The pink hole. Fuck flicks are a dime a dozen. You can buy them all over the place for $89.95. Our group of clients wants to see a woman actually raped, whipped, and tortured. They like to see a woman wiggle, squirm, bite the chain, and sweat a lot. And if you don't sweat enough, we'll put baby oil on your body to simulate it. We strive to please. That's our claim to fame. I prefer to use the word abuse because I don't think we actually torture a woman in our films. Let's get into a few types of abuse. We use damn big dildos on your two holes and they look wicked as hell. We're careful and we use them with restraint. That's necessary to create the illusion of reality. If our procedures didn't cause pain, we wouldn't have to kidnap a live woman to make these movies. Since these movies are into bondage, it's necessary that we tie up your tits. We attach long nylon cords to each nipple, and we put on a few drops of super glue to bond the cord to the skin. A woman's breasts are very elastic, and they can be stretched upward like two slender cones. You're going to squeal like a suck pig while I'm doing it, but it won't bother me at all. You'll also be whipped. About 20 lashes during each session. The whip has to be used hard enough to leave some good welts for the camera. I don't want you to get all bloody, so the whip strokes will be concentrated on your thighs, your butt, sex organs, belly and tits. Even if you're gagged, the microphones will pick up the sounds. The whip is a great tool for effect. It never ceases to amaze me how barbaric some people can be. Our customers want to see you getting hurt. We use some gigantic dildos. To create some special effects, we pull the skin around your vagina back and then thrust a dildo in four to six inches wide at the base. It looks like we're tearing you apart, and that's what we want the viewer to think. Our customers think that's exactly what we do to a girl when we make these movies, but that's not the way it works at all. You may be tempted to strike out, kick, bite, try to scratch me. I wouldn't do that if I were you. So apparently there are voices being heard in the background. There's lots of screaming, sighing, and crying. So then Ray's response is, Can't you all keep that bitch quiet in there? Put a gag on her or something. Fuck. I'm trying to make a tape out here. Close that damn playroom door. Anything. The background screaming ceases. Shit, that's better. Fuck, that bitch has got a set of lungs on her. My friend was forcing the devil's dick up her ass. She didn't like it for shit, that's for sure. <laughs> now, well, where were we? Just be careful what you do with your hands and feet. If you piss me off, things are going to get a hell of a lot rougher. A woman scratched me in the face one time. I cut her clit off. Another thing I might tell you right now is someone starts talking in the background. What? 
What do you all want? All right, damn it. Wait a minute, let me turn this damn machine off here. Well, I'm back. Shit, they're like a bunch of little kids in there with a new toy. They just wanted me to show them how to use the electric shock machine. That little cunt in there is chained down and she can't be over 15 or 16 years old. My friends sure are giving her a working over. Damn, I guess I should have made this tape when it was a little bit quieter. But you know how it goes. The excitement of the moment and all that shit. Anyhow, what I was about to tell you a while ago was that there was absolutely no way in hell that you're going to be turned loose until I'm done with you. Hell, I haven't picked up one old little bitch, 17 or 18 years old, that told me she had a two-week-old baby at home. And I didn't doubt it for a minute. Her pubic hair was just starting to grow back where it had been shaved off. Her pussy lips were still swollen and puffy, but the really novel thing was her tits. After I had her for a few hours, her nipples started leaking milk constantly. Made a hell of a mess. Even with all her excuses, I still didn't turn her loose, and I'm sure as hell not going to turn you loose. Loud screaming and cries can be heard in the background. Damn, that's carrying right through the walls. I don't know what they're doing to her, but it must be good. Hang on a minute. I better look in there and make sure they're not killing the little whore. <laughs> I'm back. She's okay. One of the girls was touching a lit cigarette to her nipples, but I told her not to do it anymore. I don't particularly like that. Not because of the pain, because we're in the business of pain, but because cigarette burns kind of messes up a woman's appearance. And that doesn't turn me on. So if you remember him saying... That he was trying to get help and he went to all these shrinks and he was tortured. That was an audio transcript of what they found in his house. That does not sound like a man tortured over his fantasies and tortured over his decisions and sexual preferences. That sounds like a man enjoying the fuck out of torturing someone. And in the trial, they tried to make it sound like, oh, all of the victims were consensual and you know what? It is possible there were some that were. Obviously, there had to be some that were into it. Cindy was, Cindy Hendy was into it. But obviously, there was quite a few that did not like it. And that was the whole point. It wasn't enough for someone to pretend like they were being hurt and in pain. They had to actually have them in pain. So after they were caught, Cindy Hendy, 39 years old, turned on her boyfriend. She said he had been torturing and abducting women for years and it included murder of up to 14 women. The cops couldn't find anything. She said Jesse had participated in some of the abductions. She said Yancey was an accomplice. Roy Yancey had admitted to killing Marie Parker. Her body was never found. He pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and got 20 years. Jesse Ray pled guilty to kidnapping Kelly Van Cleve and Marie Parker. She got nine years, but served two and a half. Cindy Hendy pled guilty to crimes, Against Cynthia Vigil, she got 36 years with 18 years probation. I found an article where Hendy was scheduled to be released from prison on Monday, July 15, 2019, 20 years into her 36-year sentence, without parole. I find it interesting that David Parker Ray was 59 when he was caught, and Cindy Hendy was 59 years old when they released her. David Parker Ray himself described fantasies but denied he abducted or murdered anyone. He said it had been consensual S&M for every single woman. He finally made a deal to plead guilty in exchange for Jesse's release. On September 30th, 2001, he received a sentence of 224 years. On September 30th, 2001, he received 224 years, but didn't serve a year. He died on May 28th, 2002, of a heart attack. 
So he died eight months after sentencing. One of the things that Cindy Hendy said that David told her is the way he would dispose of bodies. And the best way to dispose of bodies was to cut them open, clean out their insides, put stones inside them, and then put them in the river. So it's possible that is one of the reasons why he was not caught. Which, like I said at the beginning of the episode, if the water's deep, there's a lot of silt, and he puts stones inside the victim, it would be difficult to find those bodies. Nicknames include the Toy Box Killer. That's really the only nickname I saw for him. Except, Sergeant Casey Rogers called him the King of Weird. He said studying the case would change anyone's view of normal. I will admit, I had more problems researching David Parker Ray than anything else. I imagine you probably understand why it was difficult, but in consequences, I think it's interesting the author wrote this. Early in the process of interviewing for this book, the author was visibly shaken by the horrific details related by K.C. Rogers. He paused and said, If you react that way when you hear something like that, you can't write this book. Many of the interviewed investigators said they wanted all of the ugly details included to tell it right because the public needs to know what David Parker Ray did. And now, reading from Cries in the Desert, later that morning, the FBI loaded Ray's toys box onto the back of a tractor trailer and transported it, along with other evidence, into its Santa Fe branch office for specialized forensic analysis. When it arrived at an indoor garage location, a young female special agent named Patty Rust started making detailed drawings and diagrams of every single item inside. A former captain in the U.S. Army, Rust was an experienced FBI agent with an advanced degree in criminology. A week later, she completed her assignment, walked out of the toy box, and shot herself in the head with her service revolver, dying instantly. She couldn't handle what she had seen, said a state official close to the investigation. God knows what it did to her spending five days with that stuff. The FBI's official line is that her suicide wasn't connected. But what do you think? From the book Consequences. On a Friday in early April 1999, FBI Special Agent Patricia E. Rust completed cataloging the contents of the toy box and headed home to El Paso for the weekend. There, she killed herself with her service handgun. Some writers suggested that the suicide was brought on by the case. Her colleagues, police officers, and FBI agents who knew her well dismissed the idea. She was an experienced professional and was accustomed to the worst act of violence. One coworker suggested that she might have been depressed by problems with a boyfriend. From the book Slow Death, for the next four days, Rust went back in the place David called his toy box and did her job, making a series of highly detailed black and white drawings of all the whips and chains and gigantic dildos and other devices used by David Parker Ray to hurt women. When she was done, she submitted her work to the evidence recovery team in Albuquerque. On Friday morning, April 2nd, 1999, she met with her boss to discuss the drawings. He told her she'd done a fantastic job. Then he told her to go home and relax and try not to think anymore about what she'd seen in the trailer. Later that night, Patricia E. Rust, 36, drove home to her family in El Paso, Texas. Just before midnight, she got out of bed and went downstairs to get her personal handgun. She put the barrel of the gun to her head and pulled the trigger. They can say that maybe it was about something else, and maybe she did have other things going on. But seeing what she saw and documenting what she saw certainly did not help. I have to admit, like I said before, 
This affected me way deeper than anything else I've researched. I literally found myself nauseous and lightheaded when I was reading the things that he said on his tapes. I know that I said in the last episode about Michael Lupo that S&M is not a bad behavior. It is not a negative behavior. But everything that I've read about David Parker Ray feels like it was not consensual. Whereas in Michael Lupo's case, his quote-unquote torture chamber seemed like it was for consensual activities. In his trial, there was an argument used where he quotes, this audio tape is for entertainment purposes. So in Ray's defense, they're saying everything he says from that point on was just a, basically a play. It was a performance to try to enhance the S&M experience. But knowing that he had victims that came forward that were not consensual, there were definitely women, I think specifically Kelly Van Cleve that had that problem where she did not enjoy sex. Why would she go to someone for rough sex if she could not enjoy regular sex? And her husband at the time stated they fought because she did not want sex. Why the hell would she go and want to have things forced into her? So he just feels like it was not consensual. He did not get off. And there were several people that mentioned he could not get hard until he felt like there was something extreme happening. He even mentions for his customers, they won't be able to get off. They won't be able to feel like it's authentic unless we're actually kidnapping a girl. And I don't think that that's a thing where he's like, oh, let's pretend. Because he even states, you can tell if you're pretending. You can tell if a woman is is pretending to like, oh, no, don't do this to me. You know, um, you can tell if it's not real that a woman's in pain. So to me, I think what hits so hard for me is that he legitimately enjoyed causing this pain to women. And he may say, oh, I was tortured. But I really think he was just saying that to try to gain sympathy. There was a couple, in a couple different places I saw where after he was convicted, he actually said the words, and this is an exact quote from what I've seen in several sources, I feel raped. That alone shows why I feel so disgusted by David Parker Ray. So up next will be Leonard Lake and Charles Ng. Thank you for listening to Murder Lab. I was going to make this one episode about David Parker Ray and Leonard Lake and Charles Ng, but as you can tell, there was lots of information just about David Parker Ray, so I am breaking it up. Instead of a four-part series, it will be a five-part series about serial killers who had rooms or buildings set aside for torture and murder. You can get the next episode on Murder Lab Monday, March 2nd. For more information, go to MurderLabMedia.com. We're available on Google Play and iTunes. If you need the RSS feed, you can go to the site, which again is murderlabmedia.com. Thank you for joining the lab. Have a nice day.